And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, and if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do, but whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Ye shall say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, and cast it from before thee, from thee. For it is profitable for thee that thy one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should per perish and not that thy whole body be cast into hell. It, shall be, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Again ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyselves, but shalt perform unto the Lord thy nose. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these becometh of evil. 
Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law, take away and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbour, and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? And do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans also? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us kneel down and worship. (coughs) (coughs) Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Praise and glory and honor, blessing and thanksgiving be unto thee, the eternal one that has so abundantly shown his good will toward us in Christ Jesus, O Lord. <coughs> thy will be done, and it be everyone's desire here that thy will be done, first of all, in their hearts. Dear Father, for we see that we live in a confused and turmoil, world in turmoil, O Lord. We set about and a world that affects each corner. Dear Father, yea, and we are in a, even in a country where we rush to and fro and it's busy. It is a great privilege, O Lord, that we can come together in quietness about the Holy Word. It is a great privilege to have received grace to believe and trust that thou art in control in spite of what we see around about us, O Lord, and that it be, will be well in the end. It's a great privilege to have received grace to believe, O Lord, and that thy word is still with us, and that we can proclaim it freely in this place, and that those that want to hear can come and also obey it, O Lord. It is a privilege that the children can gather with us, O Lord, for they are growing up in a world that is quite different from when we did grow up, O Lord. At a time in the past when thy word was respected even by the laws of the country and the society as a whole, O Lord, went by those rules. But now even that is chipped away, is denied. Yea, O Lord, is ridiculed. And we don't know when also persecution will start in this country of those that want to uphold the truth. We realize that this is happening in many places on this earth where they are tested unto blood. And we need the grace, O Lord, to believe and also to be true and faithful should it come unto us. Help us to make good use of the time that we are privileged to gather together, to meditate upon the word, to have it deeply implanted in us, O Lord, to increase our faith, O Lord, that we may be able to stand in all that we need to stand in the days that are evil when they do come. And to this purpose, we pray that thou grant also grace unto the brother to speak thy word in simplicity and truth, that it may go forth, O Lord, that we may hear it, that we may acknowledge it, that it may have a place in our hearts, O Lord, that it also in due time may bring fruit to thy honor and glory. We pray also for those that are sick and cannot gather with us, O Lord. And as you have heard also this little girl that suffered so much in a short life, O Lord, and we thank thee, O Lord, for the words of comfort found in thy word that tells us that of such is the kingdom of heaven. O Father, we thank thee that we know where to turn when our heart is full of sorrow for comfort, O Lord, where to turn. 
We also thank thee that we can know where to turn when we experience blessings, O Lord, and rejoice together, O Lord, that we can thank thee for it. Work thou thy good pleasure, O Lord. Bless unto us the gathering this day as we are coming here together. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dearly beloved, today's weather sort of reminds me the transition from the cold, the, the stormy, the dark, into the glorious sunshine. It reminds me of the transition from the old covenant to the new, from the old testament, the law, to the new. If you read the book of uh, Hebrews, chapter 12, it gives you this stark contrast where the writer says, For ye are not come, in verse chapter 12, verse 18, For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to any of them. They begged God that Moses would not they wouldn't have to speak directly to God, but through Moses, maybe because they could somehow have more compassion from a man. For they that could not endure that which was commandment, commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. So you haven't come to that mount, uh, Mount. Uh, uh, um, Sinai or Horeb but you've come to Mount Sion and unto the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant to this blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. If you look at the Old Testament, the book of uh, Malachi is the last book. The very last verse, verse of that book says, Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And he's speaking about in the last day, God will send his messenger before him. He's speaking about John the Baptist and also prophesying that Christ would come too, I believe that the Old Testament ends in a curse. The word curse and the New Testament begins in the opening of the mouth of Jesus on the, his first great sermon on the mount with the blessing. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But having read through this entire chapter, we can see that this is a, a pretty high standard. It's a very high standard. So much so that even some evangelicals are saying, who can keep it? Jesus said to the disciples on another theme, with God all things are possible. He said, uh, I believe it was for the rich young ruler, when, when Jesus told the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, uh, you know, and when he asked him, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he, he, he really came looking because he saw there was something in Jesus that was different than the other rabbis and the Pharisees. He says, You know the commandments? And he listed them. And, and the young man said, Well, all these things have I kept from my youth up. What yet do I lack? Well, that was the implication. Jesus said, one thing you lack. He said, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And at this saying, 
the rich young ruler went away sad. And Jesus on that said, how hardly it is for anyone, for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And on, I believe on that he said, for with men these things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so someone reading Matthew chapter 5 says, these are high standards. Who can keep them? With God, all things are possible. And it's only through God's um, operation on our hearts that enables man to live up to the standards of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean he will not fail. That doesn't mean he will be perfect. But what it does mean is that because of what comes later, in other words, the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross and his imputing to us, in other words, putting to our account his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he looks at Christ. And any imperfections in us, if we repent, if we come back to him, God imputes that to the righteousness of Christ, what he did for us on the cross. It is cancelled, it is uh, forgiven for the namesake of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come automatically. There are many preach out there and teach that your sins are forgiven present, past and future automatically. And that's not true because the word of God tells us if he repents, forgive him. If you forgive your brother, God will forgive you. If you don't forgive your brother, God will not forgive you. There's a condition. 1 John chapter 1 says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. There is a condition. It's not past, present, and, and future unconditionally. But there's, there's more. There's more than just forgiveness. There's empowerment. We cannot live this standard without the power of Jesus Christ. Without the power of the Holy Spirit. I understand a couple of weeks ago you had a message on John chapter 3. And he talked about Nicodemus. This other rabbi, this other teacher, a member of the Pharisees, a member of the Sanhedrin, the council of Jerusalem. This council that is spoken of here in this chapter. How he came to Jesus by night and says, good master, we know that you're a teacher come from God because no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And on that Jesus says to Nicodemus, he didn't take the praise, he didn't take the, the glory and, and dwell on that. He went straight to the heart because he knew maybe what Nicodemus was getting at. If you, if you read back into the second chapter, it says that Jesus didn't commit himself into the hands of men because he knew what was in men. One day they would say, you know, Hosanna to the son of David in the highest and the next day they'll be saying, crucify him, crucify him. He knew that man was fickle. And he knew what was in the heart of men. The prophet Jeremiah says, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And with a heart like that, you cannot live up to the standards of Matthew chapter 5. But Jesus says, ye must be born again. The old man has to die and the new man has to arise. You know, there was a preacher that came to North America from England a couple of hundred years ago. And he had something like 200 sermons on ye must be born again. 
Somebody approached him and says, why do you always preach that you must be born again? He said, because you must be born again. You cannot do this. You cannot live up to the, 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 the expectations and standards of the Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, without having be regenerated. Regenerated comes from the word Genesis, beginnings, birth. You must be born again. Nicodemus asked, well, what, how can that happen? Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb? And to make a long story short, Jesus says, it is by the Spirit of God. It has nothing to do with your abilities, with your goodness, with your understanding of Scripture. It is the Spirit of God that empowers one that comes to him in humility. And the pattern is set for us in Matthew 5. I remember many, many years ago, Brother Gaber approached me and he says, you know what, Matthew, what I heard once about Matthew 5? It is the steps of someone that comes to God. And I fully agree. Because what's the first step? It's the bottom rung. It's humility. It's coming before God, being poor in spirit. Poor means you have no resources. In the physical sense means you have very little money or no money, very little belongings or no belongings, very little food or no food. And you come as a beggar to someone that has it. And you plead, please help me. It's very hard when you see someone on the street with a pack of cigarettes in his hand and uh, he's pretty hefty in terms of weight to say that that man is in need. It looks like he has a lot. But he's still begging for money. I'm not saying you don't help those, but someone that is poor, and what he means by poor here is abjectly poor. Someone that has nothing to offer towards his salvation. I have nothing. Salvation is not inherited because you were born into a family that went to this church. Salvation cannot be purchased as Simon the sorcerer soon found out. Salvation cannot be earned as the rich young ruler soon found out. Salvation is a gift of God. And the gift is given to those that ask for it. They say, Lord, I have nothing of my own. Nothing of my own I bring. I think that's how it goes. Only to thy cross I cling. When you don't understand the depth of your sin and my sin, I speak for myself, we won't understand the depth of salvation. And we won't treasure it as such. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. They come pleading because they have no resources of their own. And God says, I will give my grace unto the humble. God's method or channel of giving us power to overcome sin and forgiveness to have peace with God is given in this bundle called grace. God's grace. It's his gift. God's riches to us at the expense of another, Jesus Christ. And we come in the, in the condition of contrition And the word tells us in two or three places at least that this man will God accept he that is of a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart he will not reject or despise. 
The first step is knowing that we are sinners. In the world, they have the same. In Alcoholics Anonymous or other support groups, the first step is to admit, to acknowledge that we are sinners. David said that. In Psalm 51, he said, God, forgive my transgression, for I acknowledge my transgression. My sin is ever before me. If we come, on the other hand, like the man in the, the Pharisee in the temple and says, well, I'm pretty good. I've been a good boy all my life. I give tithes of everything I have. I fast twice in a week. I'm not like other men and not like this sinner next to me, the publican. And the publican didn't have a lot of polished words, didn't have a lot of smooth talk. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, the publican went home justified. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And you can take that in several ways. You know, Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. Man of sorrows. We just heard the family in San Diego for five years, or I don't know how many years when this disease took, took its grip. They were suffering. The child was suffering. The church was suffering. We were suffering. Not as much as them, perhaps, because it's removed from us, but somehow sorrow, somehow mourning, as the scripture says, brings about, if I remember correctly, a brightens the countenance. Suffering makes us come down to reality. Suffering makes us think on things that are really important in our lives. And it then brings us to the question, why the suffering? Romans 8 answers that very plainly and articulately. It reminds us, it reminds us that we're human and it's the result of sin. And the whole of creation, it says is groaning earnestly to wit the redemption of our bodies. <coughs> My friend, you may be suffering and you think that God is not fair, God is cruel, God doesn't care. No, it's his... Romans 2 says... That it is his long suffering and goodness that leads you to repentance. And if suffering is going to make you turn around and question, why am I here? What's the purpose of existence? Where am I going? Who is God? Who am I? Then he's accomplished his purposes. But more so, when we see that, blessed are they that mourn over their sin, over their lost state. Not just of physical disabilities and, and problems, but over their lost state. As, as the Apostle Paul did, when he cried out in Romans chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am. I've tried to do this, I couldn't. I tried not to do this, I had to. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And when you mourn to that point, say, God, deliver me. God, help me. God sees that and he will not reject you. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And... The whole chapter, well, a good portion of this chapter, a good portion of this, of this chapter, I believe is tied to meekness. 
Meekness has certain qualities to it. Number one, meekness is not retaliatory. It doesn't get back. It doesn't take vengeance. And half of this chapter is on on non-resistance, on how we deal with each other, on how we deal with the enemy. That's why we don't take up arms to go to war, to kill the enemy, because Jesus says love them. That's why we don't uh, retaliate with angry words, because Jesus says love your neighbour, love your brother. And meekness, one virtue of, of, or one aspect of meekness is that we do not take vengeance or retaliate for evil done. And that can only be motivated by love, the love that God sheds abroad in our hearts. We can't do that of our own. It's the love that God sheds abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given to us, Romans 5 says. Meekness is also linked to that. It, was being, it, was, it has been said that meekness is power under control. Although I have the power and the right to do things and say things, I won't. I won't. And the, and the chief example of that is Jesus Christ. He says, as a lamb before his shearers was dumb, in other words, he didn't speak, he didn't open his mouth. When they were railing accusations at him, false false accusations, he didn't retaliate. He didn't take vengeance. He didn't resist arrest. Because he submitted himself to a higher power. And that power was God. To Pilate, he said, when Pilate told him, don't you know that I have the power to deliver you or to release you? And Jesus says, you'd have no power at all if it wasn't given to you by God. And sometimes we think we have rights. I have this right and I have that right. I remember one, once uh, 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 reading something, I believe he says, or or listening to something, he says, in a church there were two people, and one said, he got into an argument with someone about monetary uh, exchange, or whatever it was that went wrong, and he said uh, to the pastor, I demand my rights. I demand my rights. And he had to remind the man, he said, Jesus came to this earth to die for your wrongs. Meekness. Power under control. And we will win more hearts over. We will win more hearts over. And the loss that we think we will lose, God will replace. Ten times. A hundred times. Pressed down, running over. Because we're too afraid to let go of our rights. When you come to Jesus Christ, you surrender everything. You surrender your rights. You surrender the things that you think that you need to cling on to to make your life fulfilled. You surrender your idols. You surrender your own dreams that you had at one stage, which you now must see that they're not really God's dreams for you. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. One of the fruits of someone that truly wants God's blessing and power in his life is that he will now start hungering and thirsting after wholesome food. The word of God. Jesus said, I'm come to do the will of my Father, and my meat is to do his will. My meat is to do his will. I believe he said that to the Samaritan woman in the, 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 the group that came with her from the village. My meat is to do the will of my Father. 
The, the disciples were saying, does anyone bring any, any bread, any meat? The Lord's hungry. And Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of my Father. If you hunger and thirst after righteousness, after doing that which is right in God's eyes, God will fill you. The problem is with nominal Christianity, many out there are trying to get fulfilled with things that aren't manna from heaven, that aren't spiritual. They fill their lives with programs, activities, uh, entertainment, and they end up being down and, and, and unfulfilled and dejected. And Why? It's like trying to put water into a gas tank and expecting the car to go. The car wasn't designed to run on water. The spiritual body was not designed to run on secular things of this world. And you will never be filled by trying to fulfill yourself with the things of this world. But you need to hunger and thirst after righteousness. For my meat or my flesh is meat indeed or bread indeed. Whatever we take from Christ, we know we will not go hungry. The water that he gives us will well up in us. And now it says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. To the Samaritan woman, he said, I will give you that water that if you drink of, you will never thirst again. And then he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. This is a biggie. This is a biggie. This is a big problem. When we have come to Christ and Christ has forgiven us for such a great debt of sin. Matthew 18. Just read it. Read the last half of Matthew chapter 18. The one that, was, that owed his master was a 10,000 talents that he could never repay. If he lived 10 lifetimes or a hundred years, whatever. He could never repay that. And he frankly, when he was going to cast him into prison or punish him, he said, pray, I pray you, please give me time and I'll pay you everything. And the good master said, you know what? I'll forgive you. You don't have to pay me back anything. I will forgive everything that you've, you owe me. Because he was good. The same man that was forgiven and went away and found someone that owed him a hundred pennies. A fraction, a minute fraction of what he owed the other man. Grabbed him by the scruff of the neck and says, pay me everything or I'm going to have you cast into prison. He says, please give me time. Please forgive me. Give me time and I'll pay you everything. I'm just paraphrasing here. And he would not. And when the first master heard what this, the first servant did, he was wrath. And he threw him into prison. And he didn't let him come out till he paid everything, which was impossible if he didn't have the finances back with, at, at, the, at the estate. And he says, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Forgiveness, forgiveness in the life of a believer is ultimate. Because we cannot say that someone has done something so great that I could never forgive. If that's what Jesus would have said to us, and he had every right to say that, we would yet be in our sins. And we'd be cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Someone that is truly uh, seeking God's forgiveness must be merciful to others. Not because he has to, but because he loves with the love of Jesus Christ. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's a promise. Pure in heart. It, and, and Jesus was contrasting this 
a lot of this chapter with the Pharisees. Because he said, unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven or God. Because the Pharisees appear on the outside to be holy and pious and just. They knew the scriptures inside out. They could quote it to you by memory. They could interpret the law. But Jesus said, in another chapter, I think it's 23, what he said, Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe unto you that on the outside you're like whited graves, but on the inside you're like dead men's bones. He's saying, Blessed are they that are pure in heart. Jesus is focusing on the heart of man in this chapter. And I believe throughout all of his teachings. He's focusing on the heart of man. What is your heart like? What is your inside like? To the Christian before conversion, it was deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. After conversion, it was a transformed heart. It was a renewed heart. You can read about it in Ezekiel. And I'll give them a heart of flesh and replace their stony hearts with a heart of flesh. Why? Because a heart of flesh is teachable, malleable, submissive. And they shall see God. Hebrews chapter, is it 12 that says? Seek peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Just in case you think you're the only one that can do it, it says, no man shall see the Lord without holiness. That's what he's talking about here. A sanctified, purified, holy heart. And that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. The peacemakers, those that are going out seeking to make peace and not trouble. Seeking to have unity within the body of Jesus Christ. Seeking, go back to the previous verse about being merciful. Seeking how we can reconcile our differences. Go further on in this chapter, you'll say, uh, verse 23. Therefore, if thou, if, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, when he's talking about a gift to the altar, he's talking in Old Testament uh, imagery here, where someone that had um, wanted to offer uh, some offering to God, not all offerings were for sin. There were some peace offerings. If you come and offer your peace offering to God, and it's burnt at the altar... He says, don't burn that. Don't offer it to God until you make right with your brother. Because if you don't make right with your brother and you offer that to God, Psalm 26 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear my prayer. Again, he's focusing on the heart. He's not focusing on the external. Look what I've done. I've brought you this. God, this cost me. I'm giving you this. God says, go back. Go back. Your righteousness has not exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees. Because that's what the Pharisees would do. He says, go back, make right with your brother, and then come and offer your gift upon the altar. You see, that's how true peace comes. If we don't do that, we end up in a cold war. We don't really do things to each other, but we just don't talk. It's called a cold war. That's what happened with the Russians and the Americans in the 60s and 70s, and it's beginning to happen, it looks like now, today. True peace is when we admit our faults, when we come to God, when we repent, and we try to reconcile on God's terms. We are called peacemakers. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, 
For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my name's sake, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, it, it appears that every time I go through this chapter, we end up there. Because there's so much contained. The rest is commentary. The rest from here is actually applying what he has said in the 12 verses. And we've read through that. Internalizing the word. He, and, and just in, in, in finishing up, you can see that Jesus is saying, you've heard of it said of old time, thou shalt not kill. You've heard of it said of old time, thou shalt not uh, uh, forswear thy, thyself. You've heard of it said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And they had a standard that they kept amongst themselves. Jesus said, I'm not going according to your standard. I'm going according to the standard of God. You know, there's someone once gave this uh, uh, analogy or, or, or illustration, which we had at camp this past year, about the difference between ethics and morality. Ethics and morality. And morality in, in the society terms is whatever the society standard is, as long as I keep within that standard, I'm being moral. But ethics has more to do with how we abide by a, the standard of the law, not on the standard of the behavior of society. And that's why today, that is why today, People that do things that are evil and licentious and lascivious because they're abiding by the standards of society and you are opposing that, you become the wicked one, the evil one, the one that's pouring uh, rain upon their parade because you have now gone counter to their standards. And God says, but I say unto you, look upon a woman to lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Say to your brother, Raka, or fool, you're in danger of the council. You're in danger of hellfire. Every idle word that we speak, Jesus said, will be brought into judgment. It's impossible with men, but it's possible with God. Have you laid everything on the altar are you willing to forsake everything for Christ? Are you willing to surrender your heart to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who's able to give you a transformation from the inside out? My prayer is that you do. To him be all the honour and glory evermore. Amen. Will our brother please find a hymn? We have visiting brothers, feel free. Number 75, the first two and the last verse. Hymn number 
brother offer a prayer, please? Brother find the concluding hymn, please. Two hundred and twenty-nine, two verses.
This morning as I was driving up to church, what went through my mind was, I cannot remember the time when we've had so many young people at the same age group. that I see come to church every week. They seem to enjoy each other's company. They love to sing. They love to come to CFG. And I think, what a great harvest that is. The same chapter when Jesus was meeting with a Samaritan woman at the well and talking to I believe it was that chapter, talking to his disciples. He says, the harvest is great. Pray that the Lord would send more laborers into his harvest. And my dear friend outside of Jesus Christ, my heart goes out to you. I'm wondering whether you can really see that this world has nothing good to offer. It endures for a little season, gives you a little pleasure, but in the end you wake up with a hangover and you have no fulfillment. Jesus came to give you life and life more abundantly, a life that you will never regret. The only regrets that I have is that I didn't come earlier to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ. That I had very similar temptations and trials, and so did these brothers around you and sisters, to drag you back into the world. And the only thing that you'll be missing by following Christ is hell, nothing else. Is eternal separation from God. And for that reason, Christ came, demonstrated his love for you on the cross of Calvary, poured out his blood on the cross, cried out to the Father in agony, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He did it for you. He did it to give you eternal life. My prayer is that you will listen to his voice, heed his calling, and you will have nothing to regret. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.